But if you've been here the last few weeks, you know that we are uh, in a mini-series that is called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And this is a book written by a man named John Mark Comer, who is, uh, man, he's just an amazing spiritual leader, teacher in the Portland, Oregon area. Go Google him and check out more of his stuff because there's just a lot uh, of goodness to, to be uncovered. Uh, but we, we did a full series on this a few years ago. We felt like it was a good time to bring it back to the forefront, uh, a good season to do that. And so the last two weeks we've been digging into it. And so let me just do a really, really quick recap to get everybody up to speed. In week one, we talked about the ultimate premise which is, as Dallas Willard says, hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life in our day. That we have to open our eyes in our culture, in our context, and realize this is quickly becoming, maybe already is, the biggest obstacle in us being like Jesus in in today's world. This is a huge issue that we need to be aware of. And so we've talked a little bit about what that looks like, how that manifests itself around us, how we always talk about how busy we are when in reality we're just distracted with things that don't really matter, that don't have an impact, and so we don't feel fulfilled. We, we feel a lack of purpose, and so we need to right-size these things. I think so often... We feel like if we can just speed up and hurry and keep moving, that we'll be more productive and we'll get more done. It's interesting, scientific research shows that hurry does not equal productivity. It doesn't, it doesn't lead to effectiveness. In order to be your most productive, you have to be number one, calm, and number two, focused. Hurry doesn't lead to either of those things. and It is, in fact, the antithesis of those things. And so we are trying to get ourselves back to a place where we can center our hearts and our minds on the things that truly matter most. And so last week we talked about a few spiritual practices that that train us to go in that direction. So we talked about the practice of slowing down. Just in everyday life, we slow our minds down, we slow our hearts down, we slow our bodies down so that we can actually be intentional. We can actually have margin to do the things that matter most. And then we talked about the practice of silence and solitude. This is something that we read often uh, through the Gospels. This is something Jesus did on a regular basis. He would go to a solitary place and he would just meet with the Father and just talk and listen and sit in his presence. We talked about last week how the number one issue with Christians today, this is a, a survey, they say they feel disconnected from God. And it's no surprise. We're, we're hurrying so much. We've sped up life so much that we no longer give God any of our time, any of our attention, any of our heart space. And so why in the world would we feel connected to him when that is the case? So we're gonna slow down We're going to meet with God, we're going to listen, we're going to respond, and and that is going to take us down the path that we desire to go. So today we're going to talk about a few more spiritual practices that are going to allow us to slow down, to eliminate the hurry in our lives, and actually do the things that God has called us to do. Um, But before we get into those practices, I, I want to first start by talking about one of the core issues that is at the heart of all of this. And that is so much of the the hurried lifestyle that we live and so much of the discontentment that you and I experience in this life comes down to one thing, and that is the concept of desire. All of us have an infinite amount of desire within us. 
always longing for more, always wanting more. We make goals for more, 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 more. We have this desire that we have to do something with. Yeah, one of the statements in the book says that desire to accumulate and accomplish, and if you think about it, those are the things that it kind of boils down to, is we want to accumulate more, or we want to accomplish more. The desire to accumulate and accomplish drives us to a cancerous restlessness. Um, You know, that just hit me because it's like that hurry, that drive, that desire just is, it's always going and going and going and going. And it drives us to where we just hit exhaustion. You know, we're just done and we're so wound up tight, you know, we're, we're going to blow. Uh, and, and we do. <laughs> um, I talked about that in the, the boost rally this morning for the volunteer team. I witnessed someone blow on, uh, at the airport. They mm-hmm. lost their mind. Um, but that's what we do. We get so wound up with this desire to accumulate and accomplish just more and more stuff. Yeah. And it's interesting as you read through scripture, how often God tries to like rein us in from that. Like he, he always talks about how we should have self-control and discipline and humility. Be content with what you have. Like we see all of these things trying to pull back the reins. But the truth is, is our desire just continues to grow. And our desire goes beyond our capacity. So like we, we have this constant like itch that we have to scratch. We need more. We want more. And in today's culture, that fire is stoked just over and over and over again. Like you go to social media, the fire is stoked. Wait, they have that? I want this. It's over and over and over again. They say that in our world today, we see over 4,000 advertisements a day. 4,000. It's like all we see over and over again. And the message is, if you just buy this or eat this or drink this or be this, you'll be fulfilled. That, that desire will finally be full in our culture today. Yeah, the book says that digital marketing was built, a society built around twin gods of accumulation and accomplishment. Yeah. Like that's literally their goal. Yeah. And so what happens is we live our lives with this desire that's not being filled up. And so we just sit and live in restlessness and disappointment and anxiety and disillusionment because it's not matching up what we think is supposed to happen. Yeah, we get that next thing, right? We get that next thing, and then it becomes the new norm really quick. So that thing that we wanted and we wanted and we worked for and we spent all this time and money for, whatever it was, right? We want, we want, we want, we get, and then it becomes the new norm and we forget about it like three seconds later. Mm Uh, so the very thing that was literally driving our life, we then like, oh, okay, got it, done, next, what's next, yeah. right? Yeah. So the question is, as Christ followers, what do we do with that? How, how exactly are we to approach this? And so let's start with this. The reason you and I have all of this pent-up desire is because we were created for an infinite, unlimited God. That's the reason we have this, because we were created for him And nothing less than that will satisfy us. So here's the thing. The key is not detaching ourselves from desire. The key is putting it in its proper place, which is on God and everything that he says and does. That is where our desire is supposed to be. St. Augustine said this, You have made us for yourself, and our heart is restless until it rests on you. That's, That's the truth. We have to put our desire 
on him. And so until we can get to this place where our deepest inner desires are truly on God, we'll we'll always have that proverbial itch that we have to keep scratching and have to keep trying to to satisfy and, and fulfill. And so then the next question becomes, so what practices... What formations can we implement to help us in this endeavor? Yeah, and we go to the very beginning of Scripture. Very beginning. It says that God blessed three things in the very beginning. He blessed animals. He blessed you and I, human beings. And he blessed a day, the Sabbath. Mm -hmm. So that's going into our, our first spiritual practice today is Sabbath, because God is teaching us from the very beginning of the whole darn book that, listen, we have to get to a place where we can say, okay, our, our desires, we have to get to a place where we can say, okay, that's enough. Mm-hmm. I'm going to now trust you, God. Yeah, and so let's, that's a good segue. So I want to just talk for a second about why we don't practice Sabbath today, because I, I think I would expect most of us don't do this on a regular basis. And so I'm curious as to why that is, because it is extremely prevalent throughout Scripture. I mean, whether you think it's a binding command still or not, it doesn't matter. It clearly shows this is good. This is wise. So why don't we do this? Number one is the series, because we're, we're too hurried. If you ask the average person, why don't you take a day to Sabbath? Well, I don't have time. I don't, you kidding me? I don't have time to spend 24 hours just resting in God. There's no way I could do that. Way too much going on. So there's a, a quote in the book that says this, the Sabbath has largely been forgotten by the church, which has uncritically mimicked the rhythms of the industrial and success-obsessed West. We have become perhaps the most emotionally exhausted, psychologically overworked, spiritually malnourished people in history. It is not as though we do not love God. We love God deeply. We just don't know how to sit with him anymore. And so the first issue is we just don't have time to do that. It's not a priority for us. And so we need to consider. Yeah, I mean, that hits hard. But when we really sit with it and think about it, it's just true. Mm. You know, like we just, we're kidding ourselves when we say we don't have the time. Mm-hmm. We've, t- we've talked about the hours and hours that we're spending on other things. And the fact of the matter is, if we truly want a close relationship with God, and I'm I'm speaking to myself just as much as anyone else, like we have to prioritize him in in our time. We gotta slow down and prioritize him. The other thing is is lack trust in him. Mm. We, We try to, we like to have control, don't we? If if we want to, if we want something, we want to go and get it. We're gonna we're gonna take care of it. We're gonna take control. I like my plan. I like my way. And we just don't trust him. Mm-hmm. So ultimately, we say, "No, God, we've got this. I've got it. Don't worry. I got a plan. Just follow me on my plan, would you? Would you just bless my plan?" Uh, and, and instead. We got it backwards. We got to say, you know what? I trust you. Mm -hmm. Like you really are God Almighty. You really love me so much and you really want good for me and you know better than me. Mm -hmm. So I'm just going to trust you that your way truly is better. And we say these things, but when it comes to like real life, 
it's hard to really put our trust in him, isn't it? Yeah. It's hard. But that's what it boils down to. We're too hurried and we just simply don't trust him and we want to take control ourselves. Yeah, I want to read another quote because this is all around not trusting God. It says, God recognizes the deeper problem within the hearts of his people. They don't rest on the Sabbath because their hearts don't trust in his provisions. Rather, they trust in self-sufficiency, inadvertently stealing God's job away from him. So it's just an eye-opener. Why, why don't we do these things? Well, number one, we're too hurried. We don't feel like we have time. And number two, we just don't trust God that he's going to provide. That's a punch in the face. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it just hurts. Yeah. So uh, what, does, what does Sabbath look like? Why is there Sabbath? What does it serve as? And so the first thing is, is Sabbath or Shabbat, it means to stop. It just means to stop. God's like, you know what? Would you just stop yourself? Because from the beginning of time, we're, we're already just go, 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 go. And he's trying to show us, no, it's a day to just stop. Stop working. Stop worrying. Stop wanting. Just stop. <laughs> and that's sometimes we just need to, to be, remind ourselves, like, all I'd have to do is just stop running, running, running. And just give him the space and time. And so make it a practice Yeah, to stop. Yeah. The second thing that Sabbath does, it's a time of rest. I can, sometimes when I say that word, it's just, I'm like, oh, rest. That sounds wonderful. But it's a time. It's a time to rest our minds, our bodies, our spirits, like truly come to a place of contentment. And I want you to like meditate on that concept. What would it look like if I was just truly content with who God is and with what he's given me, what he's done for me, if I just would rest in that? You know, like Devin was talking about on page one, this is really the, the main point of page one uh, of the Bible is the, the idea of Sabbath. And this is what God did. It's, a, it's this beautiful picture of him creating everything and then he just rests. He's content with his creation. It's very good, I'm just gonna rest. And so we need to follow suit in that endeavor. Another translation um, that we see in Scripture for Shabbat is to delight. So this is another thing that with Sabbath, we are to delight in him. We are to delight in his creation. We are to delight in our lives. We, it's a time to stop and just reflect and delight in what he has blessed us with and given us and what he's done for us. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so uh, I love this, this statement or this question really uh, in the book that said, what could I do for 24 hours that would fill my soul with joy, wonder, gratitude, and praise? Mm-hmm. Like give a day to that. Doesn't that just sound great? Like, what could I do for 24 hours to just fill my soul with joy and delight? Yeah. Yeah. And then the last thing, and this is an important one, it's a time to worship. It's a time to like center everything that we are and everything that we have on God. Our hearts, our minds, our lives. This is not just like a day off of work. This is an intentional time to be with God, to center everything we are around him. A lot of times when we talk about worship, we just think of singing and praising, and that's beautiful, that's awesome. But, but worship is so much more than that. Ultimately, worship is giving God your attention. 
That's living a life of worship. And so that's what Sabbath is about. We just give him our time. We give him our attention. And so listen, the goal with Sabbath is to take these things, stopping, resting, delighting, worshiping, and, and to practice so that we do them every moment of every day. Like that, that's the whole point is so that our hearts and our minds become a people who just live this out and ooze this out every day of our lives. We're practicing so that we can actually live it out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so what does this look like for you? Because I know you practice Sabbath. Yeah. So I do. We uh, are probably not as consistent, though, as we should be. Um, but typically Sabbath for us is on Sundays. And uh, after all of this, because this is work for me, <laughs> but uh, as soon as this is done, the first thing that we typically do, and we're very intentional about this, is we have some time with community. Like this is a big part of Sabbath. As we read it in scripture, you study it historically. So much of Sabbath was a communal endeavor. I think for some reason we've gotten this picture of just like going home, locking the doors, and you're just by yourself. That's not biblical Sabbath. So we start with, with a community. And so we like to have a meal you know, with, with, with our closest friends and family and, and, and start Sabbath that way and just fill up our hearts and our minds with love and, and joy. And then we'll go home. Um, typically, the, the next hour or so is just rest. The kids go to sleep, thank God. And, uh, and so we just have a time where we just get to sit and we get to rest and we get to kind of bring our bodies back to a place that is natural and normal. And then as soon as the kids wake up, we, uh, we have some intentional time with God. So the first thing that we do is we uh, will go to the fireplace and we've got two candles that we light. And the kids love this. You know, they're little, so they just love anything that brings excitement. But uh, one candle represents peace. One candle represents thanksgiving. And so we'll just like slowly sit together. We'll light the candles. We'll talk about what peace means and what thanksgiving means. And then we'll go around and we'll just pray as a family, like one by one. And uh, it's the coolest thing in the world because (laughs) my kiddos, getting to see them pray is amazing. Now, my little guy, he's two years old, so he doesn't know what he's doing. But we, we wait for him last, and so each one of us will go. And then when it gets to his turn, he'll just like literally mumble for like 30 seconds and he'll stop and go, amen. And uh, so I'm like, hey, that's, yeah, whatever he said, I agree with. Um, But it's cool to like, you know, you get to see your kids picking up these things and learning these things. And so then what what we tell them is, okay, the rest of the night, we're just going to have fun. We'll play games, we'll eat our favorite thing for dinner, um, maybe watch a show together, whatever. We're just going to have fun. But in everything that we do, we're going to thank God for giving it to us. So like, hey, uh, Hadley, if you're going to watch the iPad, as soon as you pick that thing up, that you need to thank God for giving you that iPad. Thank you, God, for giving this to me. This is ultimately from you. And so that's what we do. Before we do anything, we thank God for it. We recognize him for giving it to us. And again, another beautiful thing that has come from this is I have seen that pour out into everyday life with Hadley. Um, When we first started this practice, a few weeks into it, on just a Wednesday night or something, I was sitting on the couch and she came and hopped right by me and she took her iPad out and she, I saw her. She went to press the button to turn it on. And before she did, she stopped and she said, thank you, God, for this iPad. And then she went, and I was like, yeah, that's perfect. This is amazing. So um, those are some of the things that we like to do. And then, you know, we go to sleep, we rest more, and then we, we feel fulfilled for the week ahead. Yeah, I love how you- 
I mean, we keep saying practice, and um, it's literally, it's exactly that. You know, you think of a, a soccer game or, you know, any sport, like practice is to prepare you for the game, for, mm-hmm. for life. And that's what this yeah. is. It's, we are, we're not perfect at it. We talked about that last week. Yeah. We're not perfect at it, Mm-mm. you know, uh, but we are practicing it and we're trying to put the right stuff in us and our kids so that when it comes to life and real life happens, that becomes their, their go-to. Is, is I'm going to rest or I'm going to stop or I'm going to, you know, rather than what our culture and what we, we tend to do naturally. Yeah. And let me reiterate, we are not super consistent with this. I mean, we, we will miss weeks where we don't do this and we feel it. Yeah. Like our, our home, our, our family, our culture, we yeah. feel it in the house that we've missed something that is important for us. And, and the truth is, is we never did this before I read this book two years ago. We were not a family that practiced Sabbath, and, uh, and so we started to mess around with it when I, when I read this. And I'm just telling you guys, it has made a profound impact on our home, on our house, on our family, on our kids. It really, truly has. And it's simple, simple stuff, but it is that important. So yeah. uh, what does it look like for you? Yeah, so ours is Friday evenings, and, um, and as well, we... Um, do well with it sometimes, and we get out of the practice other times. It's something that we really, Tara and I, we have a Sunday evening uh, meeting where we talk about our week, what's coming up, what's the schedule look like, and this is something that we have to fight for. We, we talk about Sabbath all the time, like we're, we got to make sure we Sabbath, but we're, we're inconsistent as well. But like you said, we feel it. Like when we first slipped out of this practice, we didn't even like really realize it. You know how you slowly slip out of things? We didn't even really realize it until we were so wound up that we were like, what is going on? And we're like, oh, we stopped Sabbathing like three months ago. Hmm. And we, when we implemented it, it was amazing. One night, and all of a sudden we had this rest in our life that just kind of covered us throughout the week. So anyway, uh, Friday evening, we really, it's like, as soon as um, school's over and, and we're winding down, it's like alarm goes off, we're stopping all work. So Tara prepares for it. She, you know, we're getting out the paper plates, we're getting out, uh, we're ordering something typically, or she's made something in advance so she doesn't have to make it after the alarm goes off. Um, so there's intentionality with it, but we start really at the dinner table. Um, and we, it's so cool. I'm telling you guys, when you implement this, the kids can't wait for Sabbath time. You know, it's Sabbath time, it's Sabbath time. Like they are excited for Sabbath time because we get around the table, we get to talk as a family, we pray, we'll eat food, we'll enjoy it, we'll enjoy just time together, we'll, um, Something that we, we've implemented are like our family values, uh, which most of them are very similar to the values we have here at the church, but we kind of just make it more relatable for the kids. And so we'll talk about a family value and, or we'll, we'll quiz them on, okay, what's the family values so that we're instilling, you know, those godly values in their life. But a lot of times ours is filled with a lot of fun. Um, we play board games. Uh, we play hide and seek in the house so i'm like hurdling things you know like stiff arming kids and like getting getting to base on time um you know sometimes it's just a movie night 
you know, where the kids will pick a movie and we'll get to cuddle and I'm a cuddler. So I just, uh, um, just whatever it is, like we're, we're choosing in that evening to enjoy each other. And um, we, it's filled with a lot of fun typically for us. Um, but yeah, we, we will wind down that evening to where we're in just kind of in a place of rest. And uh, it's, it's something that, like I said, it seems so crazy that just one evening could mm-hmm. impact my whole week. Um, but like my disposition throughout the week is different if we have Sabbath versus when we don't. Yeah. So you noticed that neither of us have yet uh, carved out a full 24-hour segment for, for Sabbath. Um, so, you know, my family will, will work for that. We'll, we'll try to do that. But here's the point. This isn't like legalism here. Like, this is, this is all about freedom and, and putting ourselves in a position to where we can be free to live a life for Christ, to truly rest in him. So here's what I would en- encourage you guys to do. Just give this a try. Like, just, just try to figure out, maybe it is just one evening, or maybe there's a particular day that works best for you guys, and just try to implement some of these things and pray about it and seek after what you feel like would be good and right for your family, and just see what it does uh, to your hearts and your minds and to the culture within your home, and I, I have a feeling it will make a big, big difference. Yeah, through the lens of, like, what, what restores me? You know, like, some things that restore me as an extrovert doesn't really restore Tara as an introvert. So like we have to feel out like what is restorative, not depleting. So that's something that was really helpful for me when we would talk about, okay, what's Sabbath look like? What's going to fill us rather than, you know, drain us. Yeah. John Mark calls it finding the pocket of life. If, uh, if you have any musicians in the room, you know, when you find that pocket together, like there's just a groove to it and everybody's like in the, the, the right rhythm. That's what this is about, finding the right rhythm of life for you and for your family and how you lead them. And so just figure it out. Figure out what works best for you. Again, no legalism, freedom, grace, whatever it takes. But I, I think it will make it a big impact and will allow you to slow down, to eliminate the hurry in your life and to be centered on the things that that matter most. So Sabbath, let's, let's work for that. Um, so here's, here's the next one. And actually, we're going to kind of set this up before we, we get into it. But I want to just do a moment of like self-reflection. All right. So like get everything else out of your mind, out of your heart. And I want you to really think about these questions. All right. You ready? What gospel do you really believe? When we say gospel, we mean good news. What gospel really orients your life? So I want you to think about what your time goes towards. I want you to think about where your attention typically gets called to, uh, where your heart primarily resides just on a, a normal everyday basis. And really ask, do I live my everyday life steeped in the gospel of Jesus Christ? Steeped in his grace and in his love and freedom, um, he talks about living life abundantly. He talks about coming to him so that we can experience rest. Do you truly live in that gospel? Or is there a chance that you live according to a different gospel? Maybe it's a, a gospel of success. However, we would define that in our culture, in our context. Is that the good news that you live by and are seeking after? Maybe it's a gospel of fame and 
and attention and, and social status. Maybe it's a gospel of money and possessions and consumerism. Like really, seriously, reflect on what your everyday life would show you. Because here's the truth. In our culture, if we're being honest, we have come to believe a dream and a vision of what life is truly about that does not necessarily, if at all, line up with God's dream and God's vision. And most of us have not stopped the hurry long enough to ask ourselves, what have I really given my life to? What is truly governing my life? What gospel am I living by? A few decades ago, a famous sociologist, he said this, materialism, possessions, consumerism has become the new dominant system of meaning. That's what life is about. He says this, atheism hasn't replaced cultural Christianity, shopping has. He argued that we tie most of our meaning today, most of our identity around what we consume. We are first and foremost consumers. That is our identity, especially in our culture. And if you don't believe me, let me read you some some stats here. Americans spend, listen to these numbers, $1.2 trillion annually on non-essential goods, meaning things we don't need. $1.2 trillion. Americans spend over $112 billion a year on clothes and shoes alone, making shopping the number one leisure activity in our country today, surpassing religion. The average size of an American home has nearly tripled in size over the past 50 years, and yet 13 million households had to rent off-site storage last year alone. Storage units are now a $40 billion industry. In America, there are more televisions than people, more shopping malls than high schools, and listen to this, twice as much credit card debt as there is charitable giving. Americans donate less than 2% of their income to benevolent causes, while 6 billion people today live in poverty. Now, I want you to to seriously think about what that says about us. What, what that reveals about who we are and what we think life is really about. And then John Mark says this, what if the formula, more stuff equals more happiness, is just bad math? What if more stuff often just equals more stress? What if more stuff actually equals less of what matters most, like time, Freedom, generosity, peace. What if I were to reject my culture's messaging as a half-truth at best, if not a full-on lie, and live into another message and another gospel? This is what we want to chase down. And so the, the next spiritual practice we want to talk about is the practice of simplicity. Simplicity. So, so let's first talk about what simplicity is not. All right, I wanna be really clear about this. Number one, when we say simplicity, we are not saying that this is a practice or a formation of poverty, okay? That's not what we're aiming towards. This is something that has been kind of a historical error that some Christians have made as they uh, read the things that Jesus has said. 
they end up almost glorifying this idea of poverty. And I don't think that's what Jesus is talking about at all. I think Jesus is trying to to teach us about balance and self-control, that we can have what we need, we can enjoy the things that he's given us, but in no way be attached to them. I think that's what Jesus is trying to teach us. So this is not a formation of poverty, nor is this a better way of organizing our stuff. He says this in the book, if you have to spend time and money to organize all of your stuff, you have too much stuff. And, and so this is not a, about that. So what is simplicity? What, what does this practice mean? Yeah, so uh, we're defining it as simplicity is an inward reality that can be seen in an outward lifestyle of choosing to leverage time, money, talents, and possessions toward what matters most. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, we just a few couple months ago, um, we had a whole series on stewardship. And so we're back to stewardship. Uh, so we're back to stewardship where uh, this is everything that he has given us, everything that he has blessed us with, the time, money, talents, possessions, all of it is for us to steward well or manage well so that we are in a position of freedom. You know, you're talking about poverty. The reason why that's not what we're shooting for is poverty restricts you. You know, it prevents you from being able to do what God wants you to do. And so our heart posture is to be in a position of freedom so that when he asks you to do something, you are free enough to do it, whatever that is, you know, time, finances, whatever it is, right? You're free to be able to step in. Yeah, this is something that we see really clearly with Jesus. Jesus lived a simple life. And what I mean by that is physically, mentally, emotionally, he was not distracted by a bunch of stuff. Um, Does anybody know what Jesus' hobbies were? Do we hear about a bunch of different hobbies that he had that he spent a bunch of time and energy towards? No, he spends his time with people. He spends his time serving the kingdom. He was like ultra focused on the things that matter most. That's why he says, seek first the kingdom and everything else will will be added. But but you have to make that the priority. Many people call this simplicity of heart. Like like we wanna get to a place to where our hearts aren't being pulled in a million directions every day. And that's how you and I live. We're being pulled in a million different directions all the time. So how can we simplify this? How can we come back to a place of intentionality to where we're centered on the things that matter most? So let's talk about a couple of really practical habits on how we can simplify our lives. And Devin already mentioned the first one, but the the first is to be wise stewards of everything that God has given us. Stewardship takes an immense amount of intentionality. I want you to hear that. Good stewardship, it's very intentional. Being mindful of, of every desire, every purchase, every distraction, every talent, We have to be so aware of these things so that then we can orient them towards God. Yeah. That's what stewardship is. Yeah. So really practical, simple stuff. You know, when we're talking about stewarding, you know, uh, we talked about in our stewardship series, this is about stewarding everything in life, uh, but getting real practical when we talk about finance, you know, to be able to be in a place where we can serve God well through finance 
We have to live intentionally, and that means we need to budget. Yeah, did I lose everyone now? Uh, we have to live in a way where we have a plan of what we are doing, and that plan prioritizes being generous, being able to do what God wants me to do when he tells me to do it. And so in order to be in a position to be able to do that, we have to live intentionally with a budget. And so quick plug, December 3rd, if you're interested in this, December 3rd, we are going to, our stewardship team is going to put on a workshop. It's going to be the afternoon, 3.30, December the 3rd, and it's going to be just a couple hours of going through some fundamentals. Uh, And we're going to start up another financial peace class at the beginning of the year as well, so just prepare for that. So there's going to be more information to come where you can register for that, you can get plugged in for that, because like we said in the Stewardship Series, we want to be investing into you guys to teach biblical finance the way that God taught us to handle finances so that we're not living in bondage and stress. You know, number one reason for suicide is financial stress. Number one reason for divorce is financial stress. And so we have debts higher than they ever have, and the stress is mounting. We want to invest into the church, into the community. Hey, we don't have to live this way. This isn't God's way. We want freedom. So December 3rd, make sure to get plugged in. And and along with that, Dustin mentioned, um, before we go into purchases, let's be intentional of what we are purchasing. And that because this is a big part of it, right? To accumulate, to possess. This is a big part of what we're talking about today is we want, we want, we want. Um, and so instead of jumping and making an impulse decision and buying something just because you want it in that moment, that we would have the control to be able to step back and consider, is this the best thing for me? Does this add to my hurry Or is this going to lead to the life of restfulness that I'm looking for? Mm -hmm. Is this simplifying or is this adding more complexity to my life? Is it an amount that I can afford? Crazy question to ask. Mm. Um, Can I even afford this? What comes with this when I now own this? Now I have to maintain this. There's expense with maintaining it. I've got to spend all afternoon fixing it. You know, on and on and on. Consider the whole cost of what we're getting into. Yeah, he makes the comment in the book that in our culture, we buy things we don't need with money we don't have. And when you just sit and meditate on that for a second, it's kind of a scary thing that's just become socially acceptable that all of us do. We just go buy things that we don't need with money we don't even have and hope that eventually we get it. And man, that is a stressful way to live. And I don't think that lines up with the rest that Jesus is trying to, to give us and provide us. So we have to be intentional. So, so budget your money. Yeah. How about budgeting your time? Budgeting your attention. Budgeting your energy. Devin started talking a little bit about all this stuff that we have. It takes up capacity from us, whether we realize it or not. And so, like, do we really need 20 pairs of shoes? Do we really need, like, two closets full of clothes? 
do we really need all, do we need a basement full of stuff that we're never going to use and, and that we could get rid of? And that might, might actually help somebody around us. Like, do we really need these? Do we need an extra storage site to put all of our stuff? These are questions we seriously need to consider. And so a really practical thing um, that, that I did after I read this book is um, I went around the house and with everything that we have, <clears throat> I put them into three buckets, okay? Number one, keep it. This adds value to my life, okay? Uh, I, I, this is not a distraction. It adds value. I, I need to have self-control over it, but it adds value. Number two, get rid of it. It's just, it's, it's a distraction. I don't need it. It's not good for me. It's not bearing good fruit. It's, it's just there. Get rid of it. Or number three, wait. Just wait. I don't, I don't know yet if it adds value. I don't know if I'm going to need it yet. Just wait. Need to pray on it. Yeah. But typically what happens, and they talk a little bit about this in the book, is that weight category will we'll typically come back about six months, a year down the road, and we'll be like, I haven't looked at that thing, thought about that thing for the last year, so obviously I don't need it. And then boom, it's gone. But this allows us to be intentional with everything that we have. Each one of our homes is just full of stuff. I, like going into our basement with all of our kids' toys drives me crazy. Oh my gosh. And then we constantly have to clean it up all the time. We're cleaning it up and we're reorganizing. Then they mess it up and we're reorganizing. We're cleaning over and over again. It's like a cycle of death. I hate it. And so like we, we, have, to, we have to simplify these things. It seems really simple, really practical, but if we simplify the stuff in our lives, it often simplifies our hearts and our minds and gives us attention towards things that actually matter. Yeah, and like you said, time's a big part of this because uh, three weeks ago, I made a big decision. I like TikTok, but I removed it from my phone. Yes. And I, uh, because I got to say, as I assessed my time, I was wasting too much of it watching these videos, right? And it would be a few minutes here, a few minutes there. As soon as I had half a second, oh, well, let's, let's see a 10-second video, you know? And um, it was a distraction. And as painful <laughs> as it was, um, I, I removed that. But I just came to the realization, all right, do I want to put my phone aside and spend quality time with my family? Mm-hmm. Or do I want to watch another video? Yeah. You know, and that's just really what it boiled down to. Sometimes we get so emotionally attached to things um, like TikTok uh, that it's it's hard to let go of. But when we get real with ourselves, like we got to make some decisions. You yeah. know, if we want to lead to a better life that's following Jesus. Another thing, just really quick. This is a simple, another practical thing. Is just we've got to learn to appreciate the small things again. You know, just like it doesn't have to be some new shiny purchase to enjoy it. Uh, Let's just enjoy his creation again. Let's just enjoy like the silly thing our son or daughter did and just really laugh about it and not miss it because I'm watching TikTok again. You know, just simple, small things. Learn again to just appreciate it. We talked about being present a lot last week, but Let's just be present and appreciate the small things. Yeah. Jesus says, here are the two things that matter most. Love God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. So like, what if we could truly like live our lives where those two things are the priority? We could put the stupid devices down, turn the TV off, and just spend time with people 
and like invest in people and love on people and, and love God and spend time with him and hear from him and talk to, like what if that became the things that were truly most important in, in our calendars and in our minds and in our hearts? Man, what a difference that would make in our lives. And I, I think that's what, what a, being a Christ follower truly looks like. One last thing when it comes to, to simplifying is ultimately this allows us to be a people who are truly generous with everything that we have, everything that we are. We, um, this is one of the things that just honestly in our culture, we, we lack a great deal is generosity because we've become consumers. And if we're consumers, then it's about me. And it's about my stuff. It's about my things. It's about my money. It's about my time. It's all about me, 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 me. So I don't have space. I don't have margin for anybody else, right? You're on your own. So simplifying the, the things that we have, the things that we spend our money on, our time, our calendars, suddenly opens things up to be able to give it. Just give it. I'm going to give you my time. I'm going to give you my attention. I'm going to give you my money. I'm going to give you my stuff. All of a sudden, generosity truly becomes something that we live our lives by. Jesus says it's more blessed to give than to receive. But you and I don't live like that. We don't believe that. Mm-hmm. We don't. And what if we got back to a place where we did? How many combos are you going to put on me today with the uppercut, the jab, the bah? Uh, Something that he said, John Mark said in the book that just, again, gut punch. But he said, man, it does feel really good to put on like a new fresh T-shirt or a new pair of tennis shoes. It feels great, you know, in the moment. But man, how much more life-giving is it to help a child climb out of poverty. I'm wearing our World Vision Ghana uh, that we, we all were so generous with sponsoring children from Ghana. Uh, but how much more life-giving is it to help a child out of poverty or to be in a position uh, to help a loved one, a friend that's going just through a tough time, lost a job, whatever it is, and we have the margin and capacity to then step in and help them. Now, I don't know about you, but when I, when I pass away someday, those are the types of things I want to be said about me, mm-hmm. that he was so generous. Mm-hmm. All these stories may come up of that no one ever knew, but Devin, this one time, rough time in my life, help me through this, help me through that. Instead of, man, he had a cool outfit, you yeah. know, like, and that's, that's what it com- comes down to. Yes, I have a problem with shoes, but this is really convicting me about the shoe problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Either I can give my life to helping people or I can waste my time watching TikTok. Like, seriously, when it comes down to these things, it's like... Yeah, I, I mean, it's, it's pretty clear, but we have to like detach ourselves from this stuff and get to what matters most. So we're going to do what we did uh, last week as we end this stuff, because, you know, this is really straightforward, practical stuff, right? Like most of this stuff, we're like, yeah, yeah, no, that's really obvious. But to apply them to our lives, to live by them every moment of every day is something entirely different. So we're going to need the help of the Spirit. We're going to need uh, help with one another, holding each other accountable in these things. And so I just want to pray over us before we leave today. So if you would, just bow your heads, close your eyes. Heavenly Father, we once again just want to, um, just want to say thank you for who you are and for what you have done for us in every facet of our lives. Talk about generosity. I mean, 
your generosity knows no bounds. I mean, you just continue to lavish your grace upon us. Everything that we have in our lives, even the the things that are um, overextending us, you've just freely given to us. And so just thank you for your unbelievable blessings and favor. None of us deserve it, and yet you just continue to lavish us with grace. And I, I pray seriously, this is the end of this series But as we leave this place, I am begging that this would not be the end of these concepts, these ideas, these practices, that each one of us would be so serious about stepping into these things, making the changes that they can make, changing their habits of how they live everyday life so that we could actually give you our hearts, our minds, our bodies. We could truly be living sacrifices for you every day. Center everything we have on you. Like that, that deep within us is our desire. We want to be with you. We want to give you everything, but all of these things are just getting in the way. So help us, God, slowly but surely. We're not in a rush. We're taking our time, but slowly but surely, detach these things from our hearts and our minds. Help us to walk in a way that truly aligns with you, Jesus. And then as we do that, it's going to bear fruit of love, of peace, of kindness, of patience, of self-control. Like we'll actually get control back in our lives on the things that matter most. So I pray that you would just lead and guide us in that endeavor. Strengthen us, encourage us, help us to build one another up, to hold one another accountable, to sharpen one another through this. But set off a journey here where we can truly come back to a place to where we rest in you, we trust in you, and everything in our lives pours out from that place. Through the power of the Spirit within us, in the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. And everybody said, amen.